watching some sort of far-flung local network affiliate station in the middle of the night or something and all i have on is this like crazy italian movie with terrible dubbing and like it's not at the video store i've never heard of it it's the first time i think i've ever seen uh, orange juice used erotically noirish pulpy italian exploitation films it's just so weird it's just so weird i look at places like italy france as like the vanguard for like chic high-class refinement. Buck naked for like a solid five minutes. Hey! I would pick up a woman on the side of the road covered in blood every time. Murder mystery whodunit thriller. It's an acquired taste. Here's the thing. I'm pro-boo. I'm pro-nudity. Mamma mia! Have you guys ever been to Italy? Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hey guys, how's it going? Great, how are Good. you? Good. This week, we're talking giallo. It's not an Italian dessert, but it is, I would argue, a tasty treat nonetheless. Giallo usually refers to noirish, pulpy, Italian exploitation films, the heyday of which would have been the 70s, but... Uh, I guess started mid-60s, late-60s, something like that, and extends into the 80s. These are usually like murder mystery, whodunit thriller type situations that tend to emphasize the gore, the murder. The murder part is really is big in these, um, usually pretty graphic. There are often elements of eroticism and things like that, and you can sort of trace a lot of the roots of American slasher horror movies back to some of the earlier giallo. I love this stuff. We have two great picks this week. Uh, Dave and Kevin set us up with a an older and a later era giallo film. I love them both. Kevin, what did you bring to the table this week? So this is a genre that I was not very familiar with. You know, I think a lot of the directors of this genre are very well known. You know, my pick was, was Lucio Fulci. And Dave's was Dario Argento. I think all horror fans know that. I didn't really come into these directors' lives until they had sort of gone full horror later in their career. And I went back to what Lucio Fulci claims was his favorite movie that he ever made. And that's 1972's Don't Torture a Duckling. And it's a little different from other Jalo movies. that I'm sure we'll refer to more than just uh, the two we picked this week. But this is set in a really small town. And a lot of Jalo films tend to be big city and kind of have this, this uh, lavish sort of fame side of them. And this one is just a small town where kids start dying and they got to figure out who it is. Is it the weird town pervert? Is it the witch? Is it the sexy a big city outsider that is staying in their town? And it sort of takes you through the movie, and, and as all Jalo films do, they're all typically, traditionally a whodunit. But never having really delved into the genre much, and definitely never having seen this movie, I liked it a lot. I think it's really, really well done. Uh, I hope you guys dug it as well. Kat, what did you uh, think of Don't Torture a Duckling? I 
I didn't hate it. I didn't love, I don't think I loved it as much as the other pick this week. Um, I thought it was fine. It just kind of, it just kind of bummed me out. Like it was just kind of a bummer for me. Uh, there wasn't like any fun gore that I was like really excited about. It was just like a bunch of kids getting murdered <laughs> for a little while. Um, I thought the hot girl like being weird with kids was really weird. That just like irked me a little bit. She's like, sup, 12 year old boy, I'm naked. What do you think about that? Come watch me pour liquids on myself. Like, it was just a little <laughs> odd. I didn't really understand. Mama and then she, like, tra hey. hey. Um, I was waiting for the A. Um, it's the first time I think I've ever seen uh, orange juice used erotically. Oh, well, well, well. You're not living then, Kevin. I don't know. Just <laughs> I haven't seen it on film before. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was, just, it was fine. It was, it was okay. Uh, uh, I don't know. It didn't like excite me at all, but it also wasn't like terrible. So, hey, I I liked Don't Torture a Duckling. One thing about Giallo, uh, it's it's an acquired taste. It's also a an acquired pace, because uh, a lot of times, even in an hour half, seems to stretch on for an eternity. But uh, it's not because they're boring. Uh, they just are paced differently, and they usually have, they're all about this giant climax. And I was trying to think about modern, like, Giallo, or at least movies that were influenced by Giallo. And, you know, there's obviously, like, like Clue, and uh, recently, like, Knives Out. So anyone who doesn't know Giallo, that's kind of the vibe. It's, you know, whodunit explains it, but... Um, so, you know, the pace of that is there's a lot of introducing of characters and motivations and possibilities and a lot of that uh, distraction uh, that we talk about often in, in some of the best horror movies is they're distracting you one way while something else is playing out. And if nothing else, uh, this created that dynamic in, in the genre of horror um, really really early on and i used to not like some of these movies because of the way the gore is so uh i don't know like primitively done uh, effects wise but now i love it like when you just see like the blade with a gloved hand like raise up i get excited now when i see that um don't torture duckling was was different it was set in a village um one of the things I liked most about this movie was uh, the soundtrack. And uh, Giallo's use of music is everything. Um, as an unsophisticated Westerner, I look at places like Italy, France, and uh, you know places throughout Europe as like the vanguard for like chic, high class uh, refinement. And they, you know, they definitely play on that in a lot of these. Uh, Italian movies in general are very extravagant. But I don't know if uh, this, distinction, this distinction is just my perception of Europe. Um, but their perception of us must be interesting because, especially this movie, the, the use, uh, this movie and the next one, every time something happens where the characters are completely out of control and merciless, they play American rock and roll, <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of the, the rest of the time, it's all this like really uh, very 
lavish, beautiful music. Uh, the soundtracks are standalone. Uh, the soundtracks to pretty much any of these Giallo classics can you can just sit down and listen to it, and it's great music. And a lot of them um, have been sampled, uh, so you'll hear like themes that you recognize. But uh, I thought that Dr. Fauci did a great job uh, on this movie. Um, Mamma mia. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. It was a little slower than some of the other ones I'd watched. Um, I'm actually not a huge uh, Fauci fan. Um, but I do appreciate what he's done because he's done so much. I loved Don't Torture a Duckling. I thought this was great. I hadn't seen this one before, but I'm pretty familiar with this style. And, uh, you know, I loved, first of all, the Italian countryside in this is gorgeous. And it's sort of like, you know, sort of a character of this film is that Italian countryside vibe. Um, I, I loved the whole, like, these movies generally do the point of view of the killer thing like you see in Halloween, for example, where you're looking through the mask, there's a lot of time spent looking through. It's either the eyes of the killer or it seems like it might be the eyes of the killer. You never really know whose perspective you're looking at or you're looking through in these movies. Um, There is, I think Dave alluded to the black gloves. So you get a lot of like, you're the killer and you're looking at your black gloves. But then there's a lot of misdirection um, in that point of view type camera work too which I really like and I just I'm kind of a sucker for this I appreciate these older ones especially more now than I did back when I first discovered them there's sort of a I don't know some sort of like comfort it's sort of like comfort film it it just makes me feel like I'm in a different time and place it kind of takes you away you sort of feel like you're like watching some sort of far-flung local network affiliate station in the middle of the night or something, and all I have on is this, like, crazy Italian movie with terrible dubbing and, like, gross effects. I like the effects in this. I like the whole thing where, like, it's kind of weird. Like, you do something like, let's say you whip someone with a chain, and they show the whip happen, and then it's like a whole different cut. The wound is a different cut every time. Like, they show the action, and then they show the wound. They never show the weapon actually, like, doing the wound. They just usually show it after. Now, that's not a hard and fast rule, but in this film, there's a lot of that, like, oh, the action, and then the wound that doesn't even look like it would be caused by that action. Um, but that was fun, and it did keep me guessing. I didn't know who... The killer was in this. Um, I had I had some guesses by the end, of course. Um, I loved the um, the babe, the city babe, who's staying in the village. She's kind of like she was like sort of like reminded me of like a Julian Moore vibe. I I, I thought of her as Jolian Moore. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and right? And she's fine. Hey, she's fine. Ew. She was on my suspect list too. So there's a lot going on. I, oh, I enjoyed my. it. Thanks, Kevin. We often talk about our. Our origins of horror movies, um, Trent and I, uh, Creature Double Feature. Right. This and is I remember they used to be, well, a lot of times they would pair uh, a Giallo film or an Italian horror film uh, with like Godzilla or something. But I think that they did Giallo more often than traditional Italian horror because it is slightly less graphic, especially the earlier stuff and the Mario Bava stuff. But, um, yeah, I was I was always wondering like where what are these horror movies that they're playing on Creature Double Feature? 
Uh, it's not at the video store. I've never heard of it. And, you know, it's like from some weird era. This looks like Oliver Twist right now, but it's a horror movie. And I was always so confused by this genre. And I didn't really understand it until, like, this year. I kind of, like, it was Shudder does a thing where they have all the essentials of horror and they have everything in these categories and when i saw that category like giallo i was like what i don't i don't know this and uh giallo means yellow because the original mystery books that used to come out uh had yellow covers so yeah so they're based on these yellow covered books and the whole genre is just called Yellow. It's it's almost like a horror equivalent of like watching old kung fu movies, you know. It's like that kind of vibe. It's that kind of fun right. vibe to me. That's not too heavy, and it's just 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 weird and different. And the roots aren't really, you know, the roots from American horror aren't far in most of these. So, Dave, you talked about the music, and the music is amazing. And we'll get to a Dario Argento film next. He's his his soundtracks to his movies are some of my favorite of all time, but. The guy that did the music for this is a guy named Riz Ortolani, and he has 200-plus films to his credit. He did a ton of Mondo, Giallo, and Spaghetti Western films. Uh, some of his stuff, like you said, Dave, it comes back. Like They reuse some of his already scored stuff for movies like Django Unchained, the, the more recent movie Drive. And he won a Grammy for his song More from the movie Mondo Kane, which was later covered by people like Sinatra, Roy Orbison, etc. So it's cool to see, yes, the music is crazy and the people that make these decisions, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. Uh, but it's nice to see how much it's reached. So not just the style of film and the subgenre it became, but it's, it's just as well known for its music. And one of the other movies that Ortolani scored was Cannibal Holocaust. So... Some good horror ties there. And the the hot lady from the city that we're talking to is Barbara Boucher, who played Patrizia. And she did a lot of movies. She did Casino Royale, the original one, not the Daniel Craig redo. Uh, but she was in... Dave, we were just talking about this earlier. Dario Argento came back and actually made a movie named Giallo in 2009. And Bar Barbara Boucher, he would bring her back to have a role in that film. Uh, not not good reviews for it. I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to it really. But the scene that you're talking about, Kat, with the young boy and Barbara Boucher's character just being buck naked for like a solid five minutes, very controversial scene because she is completely naked and is asking a young boy how many women he's been with and would he like to get with her as she's pouring orange juice down her boobs. So it's just so weird. That, that scene, just so weird. That scene got Fulci in a lot of trouble. But the way that he shot it was he shot all of her scenes and then shot all of the kids separately and then had to edit it together. So like what you were talking about, Trent, there's a lot of cool film style in Giallo movies where it's not just necessarily the wounds or the attacks that they're showing or like when Dave talked about the knife coming up and then you see it on the neck and then you see the blood they, they actually employed this tactic in a, in a lot of their film style. So it, it's you got to give a nod whether you like it or not. The, go back and watch that scene as uncomfortable it, as it is and keep in mind that the two of them aren't acting together at all. But when the movie came out, Fulci had to basically prove that that's the way he showed it because the public perceived it that he put a young boy in a room with a completely naked woman and had her taunt him sexually. 
I mean, I I wouldn't say that it was taunting. I mean, I'm sure he's seen a naked lady before. I, I thought it was just a little... Not in the 70s. I thought it was just a little more... This is Europe, cat. Okay, this is not some kind of oh, Puritan... I forget. You know, this is not Puritan New England. He's seen this breasts is... <laughs> before. Okay, I'm sure. He was drawn to nudie pictures and everything. I, I didn't think okay, it was anything sure. shocking. At the time, they arrested him on child endangerment charges. The kid didn't do anything. No, what did they, they arrest him for? No, they did no, that's true. That's no. They arrested Fulci. Oh, oh, okay. Not the child. No, not the kid. I feel, I feel like a lot of it, uh, Italian cinema walks that line a lot. I can remember, you know, uh, different scenes from movies in different genres uh, that were Italian. That kind of like Tenebrae does that as well. Uh, when the the girl lures the the children onto the beach. And just get gets naked, and I don't even know what happens there. But there's always this like mysterious sexuality where you're like, I don't. <laughs> Here's the thing: I'm pro boob. I'm pro nudity. You know, I'm just don't don't get the kids involved. Just leave the kids out of it. You know. You mentioned that a lot of these movies are on Shutter right now. This is on Shutter right now, as are a bunch of other um, Java movies. And actually, this month, later in this month, November. There's a bunch of Italian stuff coming to Shudder, a bunch of Mario Bava movies, including Bay of Blood, which I have been looking for for like two years. I don't think Bay of Blood has been available digitally anywhere. That is widely considered one of the most uh, influential early slasher films, so I'm getting excited to watch that. But you can watch right now um, Don't Torture a Duckling on Shudder. And I think I, I'm pretty sure I watched it on Prime. Uh, one thing I'd like to point out about about giallo movies is that you can't watch one giallo movie even if someone says it's the best movie ever and know and un- understand like the genre or what it's about you have to at least sit through two like we did this week because yes when you start seeing these same patterns emerge you realize just how much of a a, a stylized thing it is and there are these certain rules that they they have in every single one. And I, I like uh, any artistic expression that is like that, you know, like blues music or something. So It's t- it's, t- it's harder to watch some of these movies, I think, in 2020 than it would be in 1972. I mean, we're debating a naked woman standing in front of a child. Well, that's going to have been done a lot more by 2020 than it was in 1972. But there are some other things that this movie did that it got a lot of heat for back in in 72. For instance, this movie has a Catholic church element to it. And it was it was suppressed in Europe for daring to criticize the Catholic church. And this movie was never even released in the United States until 1999. So when Dave's talking about, well, why haven't I ever seen these at the video store? I don't think it's just the fact that they were Italian movies. Some of these directors were daring to tackle some shit that you just weren't supposed to do on film. And not just boobs and kids, but, you know, they were daring to go up against the Catholic Church. And I actually, that was my, I think, my favorite element of this movie, other than The Witch, which we haven't talked about. I think the, the Catholic Church oh, element. The movie. Of, yeah. yeah, I think the Catholic Church element of this was like sort of like my moment of like, fuck yeah, go Fulci. There's a point, I'm not going to give anything away, but there's a point when someone falls down the side of a cliff <laughs> and their face, their oh, face hits every rock on the way down. It's amazing. And even sparks. 
The skull uh, sparks <laughs> at a, a, a different point. It's so funny. And it's like, on the one hand, it's like a rolling hillside. But then when they need someone to die, it's suddenly like a cliff that the body spends three or four or five minutes in the air falling straight <laughs> straight down off the cliff. This mannequin like hitting the head is getting more and more bloody by the end. And then it's when clearly it, a mannequin. It's, it's very, very good. God works in mysterious ways. I also loved yeah. the witch scene, the witch's end scene. There's a scene where the witch... Mm. Uh, has a bit of a time of it, and it's a very brutal scene, and there is quite a bit of gore, but the soundtrack, Dave mentioned, whenever something bad happens, there's like an an American pop rock soundtrack. All of a sudden, you have this like, yeah, this like old American soul, like Stax Motown soul type of song coming on or something like that. Wow, the witch is really getting it put to her. Um, It's just... I don't know, it's just fun. It's a good it's a good time anytime. It's fun. I that was like one of the that was one of the biggest bummers for me was when she's like on the roadside being like, Hey, anybody? And they're just like it's like families are driving by being like, Oh, no, thank you. Like she's just like so sad. I would pick up a woman on the side of the road covered in blood every time. You're one of the good ones, Dave. Well he didn't well, say didn't he didn't say, say what he'd do why. with her. <laughs> Have you guys ever been to Italy? No. No. Have you? No. I have. I went. Oh, really? I was 18 years old. I could drink legally, so cat got wasted in Italy. That must have been fun. It, not really. No. I got very sick and then had to take a boat ride and then sit through a glass blowing uh, class. It very hungover, thinking I was going to vomit on everyone. But the hillsides are very lovely. Uh, did you speak Italian? No, there was some creepy old guy. I walked by him, and he literally said to me, Ciao, Bella. And, like, how did he say? He's like, Ciao, Bella. Bella. And I was like, no. Don't torture a cat. The second Giallo film that we celebrated this week is Dario Argento's 1987 masterpiece, Opera. It's by my research the most contemporary, like authentic Giallo film. And they, they kind of like stopped doing Giallo. We had a conversation uh, where Kevin at first was like, kind of like how we go about every movie uh, or, or every genre is saying, Let's do something that's classic and and older and is kind of like the, you know, uh, the pillar of this genre. And then we'll do something newer. And you're hard pressed to find anything newer. And I know why. The reason why they stopped making Giallo film is because of the DNA technology that makes it 
impossible to commit these True. crimes True. this <laughs> this way. Science the way they commit these horror. crimes, it did. It's very it's very sloppy. It's a very sloppy method of killing. Uh, you're leaving by, behind lots of uh, telltale True. things about the the murder. But the black it's gloves. Like, the uh, black gloves. Yeah, they they had the gloves. That's true. <laughs> but uh, you know, this is a elegant, distinguished, grandiose, high art sort of uh, vibe. It takes place at the opera. Uh, it had a lot of similarities, or it it harkened me back to uh, or to the future to Black Swan hmm. uh, because of the dynamic and the pressures of an opera singer. Uh, she is waiting in the wings. Kind of like the backup if the main opera singer, anything happens to her. Hit by a car, just like a black swan. Um, Hit by a car, it can't perform, and suddenly she's called to do it. Um, And this opens with uh, some horror that I think us in the podcast and us that are musicians can really relate to. And I can't think of many movies that express this kind of horror. And it's technical difficulties horror. Mm. Yeah. The lights are shorting out, uh, you know, like whatever, you know, microphones, production, the production is falling apart and it causes this great amount of stress. Uh, meanwhile, there's a killer as well. I wasn't even concerned with the killer. I'm like, are they going to keep doing the show? Like, are they going to stop? <laughs> How so are they going to refund those tickets? Uh, right. That really hit close to home. So she's performing Macbeth at the opera and um, Macbeth is surrounded by all this superstition and folklore that it causes bad things to happen. Um, and there's a, a masked man that's murdering members of the production and kind of playing into this folklore and superstition. Uh, and and I, I respect this a great deal because... Um, it, it's the, like the camera work uh, for this movie, and the just visually what you're looking at. Some of the some of the voiceovers that they do, I think it it's not because they were speaking in Italian. I think it was just a repair. But what they lack in that audio part, uh, it's so expensive looking as far as the camera work. The camera is always moving. Uh, it does crazy things cinematography wise. Uh, and I really respected it, and it's an epic. It's an epic journey. I I really like this, and it's very very brutal. It is. I love this one. This is on a different level than something like "Don't Torture a Duckling" to me. And this is much later. Obviously, we're '87 now. Um, I first got. I have seen this movie a long time ago, and I loved it then. But I love it even more now. And and I was turned on to this and the films of Dario Argento at my local independent video store. They had all the Argento movies. And just through ban- you know talking with the clerks and stuff there and, and trading recommendations, um, at some point somebody said, oh, you, you got to check out Dario Argento if you're into this stuff. I'm pretty sure that this particular clerk's favorite was opera. He mentioned opera specifically. So I got into like... 
some of his older stuff, um, Deep Red, Cat of Nine Tails, Bird with a Crystal Plumage, and then, of course, he went in a more overtly horror direction with Suspiria, Inferno, stuff like that. I actually really love Mother of Tears, which is later than opera and is more overt horror. But this is just fantastic. I, I love this movie. Love the camera work, Dave, like you said. Um, it's not supernatural, really, technically, but it has more of a supernatural feel than some of the earlier stuff. And it's uh, a lot of bang for the buck. Had really good time. Highly recommend this one. I think I rented this, but I think you can stream this one on Amazon. It's an interesting one because, like you talked about, Dave, how the earlier Jallo movies probably had a lot to do with influencing later American slasher movies. I think that opera is the example we have of a Jallo movie being inspired or, or taking some inspiration from American slasher movies. It sort of marries the two together perfectly, and I think that's why it really resonates with with really pure horror fans. It has the great cinematography, it has some great acting performances, it mixes the elements of the traditional Italian murder mystery with some of the slasher elements that, that we all fell in love with as American horror fans. This is easily one of my, probably would have to be my favorite movie from Giallo. And, and, and like I said, I'm not wildly familiar with it, but I watched a ton of movies to kind of trying to sift through and familiarize myself with this genre. And what it's crazy to me that some things that I might find cheesy in another movie, I absolutely love and want to have in a Jallo flick. The close up shots of somebody's eyes getting really wide right before something happens, that might come off as like super lame in another movie. I fucking need that. You better give me that if you're making a Giallo movie because it's required. <laughs> it's required or you're out of the club, man. Uh, the the, the close-up of the weapon. And where I think this one, where I'm going with this rant about kind of being maybe inspired by how American horror was developing at the time, there are some massively creative kills in this movie. And mm. some really original horror things done that might not even be necessarily part of the kill, but part of the experience. Because this mystery killer is tormenting this poor girl that has been thrust into the role of Lady Macbeth. So there's a lot to, 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 that makes this movie literally still keep its early, you know, early Jallo card from the 60s and 70s. And almost kind of, you know, show up as like Big Brother in 1987 and then even in 2020 stay relevant and watchable. Yeah. So I just have to say uh, my roommate Wes has been uh, rewatching The Sopranos recently. So it's been a very Italian <laughs> week in the household. A lot of bada bings, a lot of gabagool. Forget about it. A lot of A's. And the hand motion you can't see because it's a podcast, but I'm doing it. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say any of these things because when Italians finally get sensitive, you guys are all going to be canceled. Mwah. It's fine. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> they got a whole HBO thing. They're fine. Uh, I knew I was going to love this movie when I read the synopsis because I also love Phantom of the Opera a lot. Uh, wish there was more uh, singing in this one, but it's totally fine. I'll get over it. Um, I loved the first person shots that are very you know prevalent in between these films uh i thought that was cool like being in the being in the eye of the perpetrator 
if you will, and like trying to kind of figure it out from their point of view. Uh, I think the music was definitely my favorite part because there's all that operatic shit, beautiful, hauntingly beautiful stuff happening, you know, on stage and then like her listening to it on the radio and just like kind of the background music. But then as soon as anything violent happens, it's that fucking like metal shit. And I was super into that. It, it, it like added a weird piece of like comedy to me. Like for me personally, I thought it was kind of funny where all of a sudden it's like da 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 da. And I'm like, oh, that's a knife right in someone's jaw. That's fun. And then, um, you know, her in the field, like running with that was probably my favorite part of the movie. Um, it's also just like beautiful visually. I just like this movie a lot. Uh, the only thing that I kind of had a, I wish there was like more of was, uh, like the backstory with her mom. Like that kind of seemed like it was just kind of thrown in there. Yeah. I'm like, wait, what just happened? Like what? And then they kind of go into it, but I I wish we had kind of gotten a little backstory in like the beginning of maybe like her and her mom and whatever, and then kind of figured it out from there. But I think that's normal for these, for these movies though, because you have some of that aspect going on in Don't Torture a Duckling. Uh, yeah. Dave, I think you mentioned Tenebra. There's there's the scene that you were talking about with the, all of a sudden there's this weird woman on the beach. Like, they sort of save all of that stuff for the end. It's almost important as important in a Giallo movie to have that weird, unexplained backstory as it is to reveal the killer. Yeah, that's that's a pretty common vibe. It's like... Some of the twists and some of the reveals, it, it gets like there's a lot of sort of just assumed uh, shorthand stuff like, oh, just always trauma. You know, just just assume that your main players have experienced some kind of intense trauma. <laughs> Anybody who's walking around in this movie could just be like a shell from some experience that they have. It doesn't, you know, and then just throw it in, like think nothing of it at the end. Like, oh, OK. That's fine. It doesn't really. It's more take, realistic. Yeah, it doesn't really take away from anything. But I think that's like everyone could be a psycho. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Your mom was also a serial killer. What? What? Oh, how? Since when? Um, how about the ravens in this movie? There's a ton of use of live ravens oh. in the opera. They're like part of the play, and so cool. I just was wondering how they got these birds to behave so well there's like tons of close-up shots of their eyes um and then there's a whole raven eating an eyeball see the legendary the most legendary eyeball scene before hostel had to be uh, had to be opera they did not get these birds to behave i can't remember the exact number i apologize for not writing it down and i'm sure that Peta would probably have an issue with this film they used something like Mm. you know something crazy like 120 different birds and like 60 of them got away like so they just kept losing birds and like having to replenish (laughs) the stock but yeah it is cool that every bird you see is legit you know nowadays you know you have to wonder if uh oh let's remake opera and you get like cgi fucking ravens did they kill any birds for real in this movie because it kind of looked like they killed some birds for real i you probably wouldn't even know they probably did I, it's 1987. It's Italy. It it's looked Dario a little Argento. too real. Probably did. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, hey, I'm not gonna look into if that. You want to make a cacciatore? Gonna... You gotta break a few eggs. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> eggs. I don't think carbonara. There's eggs carbonara. In eggs in the carbonara. Hey. I just want to clarify: this show does not condone the killing of birds. Absolutely hey. not. Or Italians. Hey. <laughs> 
Did anybody look into the metal band that plays when any of the violence happens in this? I didn't. I figured uh, Kevin would be all over that. There was a real, it was a real metal band. I think they were called Gow, G-O-W, but they assumed an identity for this movie. There's two songs that they're credited with, and they assumed a new name. They were called Steel Grave. That's the wow. metal, the cheesy thrash band I hear when the... And uh, the the music, another one, again, why I said that I think the, the music of of these this subgenre is really important. The music in this, wait for it. Three people were responsible for the the music and the scoring of this film. One was Brian Eno. Right, yeah. Which is insane. Wow. The other one, unsurprisingly, was Claudio Simonetti, who was the keyboard player in Goblin, who Argento frequently used. Mm-hmm. The third person was Bill Wyman, the fucking bassist for the Rolling Stones. Yeah, that's so weird. Wow. What? Yeah. I think if you go back and watch the, the movies in this genre and pay attention to the music, it literally has a lot to do with what makes it unique and what makes it interesting. They're fun rides. And I think, Dave, you I don't know if you mentioned it now or when we were talking earlier, some of these movies do feel a little long. They're all typically like, it's almost like Bollywood, not like Bollywood where they literally go like two and a half hours, but some of the Giallo movies can be an hour and and 20 minutes and feel like they're two hours. So I think the music actually has a lot to do with what Dave was talking about when he said they're very uniquely paced. And the music has a lot to do with that. It has a lot to do with the dynamics of watching the film. What's also, you can see the evolution of Giallo when you watch movies, you could actually see the evolution of Dario Argento himself as he got bigger budgets because the earlier stuff, all the ingredients that make them great are there, except they look like a soap opera or like Dallas or Falcon Crest or some <laughs> 80s like weird, you know, like TV show. Uh, they look, there's some bad acting, uh, which I'm usually, you know, uh, a real meanie about that stuff, but I forgive it in this stuff because there's so much more that's going on that is groundbreaking and later on i'm watching phenomena right now oh yeah and donald pleasance is in it yeah yeah and he he got some he got some big actors uh later on uh so it's kind of cool to see that evolve so i don't mind some of the bad acting especially from uh you'll get the idea that oh this is like the most italian this most beautiful Italian woman walking down the street. She's probably not an actress, but we're just going to drag her in here and see if she'll die real quick. That's the, that's the vibe you get with some of the characters. They're there for just a second, then they're gone. There's two things about the kills. Is The kills are like, wow. You think, how did you think of killing someone like that? And then the second is, well, as, you know, from a production standpoint, how did you do that? Uh, the Dario Argento stuff more than Fulci's stuff is like that. Like, how did you do that effect? That's there's a lot of amazing stuff. There's a lot of really great use of color in this too. That is a hallmark, certainly since at least since Suspiria. Kind of from there on, Argento does a lot of stuff with colors, and it sometimes like it stands out because it it'll happen when there doesn't really need to be any reason for it, which is just really cool. Like the window in the background might be flashing between green, red, and orange. Why? I don't know. It just like looks really cool. So it's just like a lot <laughs> yeah, of really yeah. cool visual stuff to look at in this. And some of the shots, I mean, I'm like wondering how was this accomplished exactly? Like swirling over 
the opera seats and stuff like I mean, yeah, this just yeah. all they didn't have drones back then. No, they're like doing it the hard way. I'm pretty sure everything yeah. happens <laughs> in this. These all these movies like this all done the hard way. There's no easy stuff. Yeah, the the scene where the uh, all the birds get out in the opera and the way they pulled that off. There's also a scene in Tenebra where he kind of takes the camera like up outside of a building and on the roof and past every window and like ends up on the window. That's yeah. not we take that shit for granted now. I yeah, mean, that's totally. that's yeah. really dedicated filmmaking. And and not to not to take away from from the filmmaking that that you guys are on, but I wanted to get back to when Dave was talking about the kills. One of the things I appreciate about this genre and particularly this movie, they don't fuck around when it's time for someone to die. You don't get this, like, modern horror, we're going to get this rated R for terror, and we're going to drag you through an 11-minute scene where maybe something happens or not. When it's time for someone to die, you get the POV, or you get the, the, the victim in a compromised situation, they fucking die. You know, there are some sequences that go against that. The witch scene from Don't Torture a Duckling is a brutal five or six minute long scene but for the most part in giallo when it's time for someone to go they fucking go in like 60 seconds or less they also always do one thing that i find really hard to look at even in my jaded um state the the hands fending off the knife you know when you have somebody just like repeatedly getting stabbed in the face and they have their hands up in front of the knife they keep trying to fend off the knife so the knife is like going through their hands and slashing their fingers the whole time. It's like, oh, you almost have to look away from it. It's like, oh, a little too real. Yeah, I cringed at the violence in this. Yeah, which is very definitely. impressive for 87. Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of the movies from the 80s we watched were just like, like, that's fun and campy, you know, but. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the one of the covers of the movie is somebody's eyes open with needles. That's a great, man, that's so cool. Yeah, so there's this whole method that this killer has. This isn't giving anything away that when he, it's really very sick. So one of the ways that yeah. he's torturing this this woman is that he like captures her and makes her watch him kill someone else. And so he like ties her up. This just keeps happening in the movie. He ties her up and uh, she can't move. And then he has this weird, like these two pieces of tape that have like sewing needles on them so that um, if he puts the tape under her eyes so that the needles are sticking up and she, it's like, I mean, obviously it wouldn't really physically, it would be kind of tough, but the idea is that she can't, if she closes her eyelid, it will be on the needle so it's like clockwork orange or yeah <laughs> like the scorpions video you ever seen with the forks on the guy's eyes like it's kind of like that and uh it's really it's really cool it's effective this little butt's really gross stuff to watch um that is just brilliant after the second time that she had to sit there and have the needles up against her eyes which you get you get the feeling that she is blinking a little bit just yeah. involuntarily and it's like irritating the top of her eye and then that next scene that plays out, uh, her eyes are blurry because she puts right. eye drops yeah. in. Right. And then the guy shows up. And <laughs> that, that whole so scene that plays out there with the peephole and everything, uh. that was a very, very good scene for like a long time. It's like really exciting. So the victim in that scene, that was Mira, right? The character Mira? Yeah, through the door, through remember. the peephole. 
Yeah. So yeah. that was actually somebody named Daria Nicolodi who was married to Argento and starred in a lot of his movies from 1974 to 1985. And Dario and Daria? <laughs> Dario and Daria. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey. Yeah, so Julia she was Julia. actually he- hesitant to do this movie. Uh, obviously, because I'm sure that you, who, who knows how they ended. Um, but she only, uh, there was another actress that was set up to do the flick, an actual bigger actress, who dropped out. And Argento convinced her to do the movie when she saw how her death scene would play out and how creative it was. And you're right, that entire scene that plays out is incredible. Like, I have no idea how he shot the peephole scene. I, I don't either. I can't even figure out. It looks so, so great. He's still alive. We could send him a, a letter. He's not doing much. I know that he is alive and he's not busy. I don't think he makes, I don't, I think that movie called Jalo that Kevin was talking about from 08-ish or something, I want to say, maybe even earlier. Oh, nine. Had Adrian Brody, who never got paid and sued to get his name taken off of it. It's supposed to be like one of the worst things ever. I haven't seen it. But I think that's the, like, the last thing he's done. Maybe we could get him on the show. <laughs> Maybe. Get him to do the show with us every week. <laughs> we could permanently get busy? him on the show. Yeah. Hey. It's fine. <laughs> we don't, you could just speak in Italian. And we'll just nod and smile. Like, yeah. I do know one thing that he is not a fan of, and that is the star of this movie, who we keep talking about, the actress Christina Marcelach, or Marcelach, who played Betty, who was thrust into the role of Lady Macbeth. Dario Argento is on record saying that she was the most difficult actress he has ever worked with. She looks a lot like his daughter, uh, Asia Argento, who he would go on to use from then on. Maybe that's why. She's like tired of working with these actors. He likes to keep it in the family. Use his wife, use his daughter. They're kind of, they have similar looks, so. Well, it's, it's interesting. She doesn't have much of a filmography. I'm talking not about Asia, but about Christina. Not much of a filmography, but for opera, she was coming off her big break, which was starring opposite Tom Hanks in the movie Every Time We Say Goodbye in 1986. So I wonder if maybe Dario caught uh, a little bit of an up-and-coming diva. Wow. I've never heard of that one. What's it called? Every Time We Say Goodbye? Every Time We Say Goodbye. Was she an American actress or was she Italian? Uh, She's not American, and I don't know if she was Italian. I want to say no. I think she's Span. I think she was a Spanish actress. Kat, did, when you were watching this, did you think that uh, they were speaking Italian? Because I totally thought they were speaking Italian because it's all overdubbed. I was trying to read their lips and I was trying to figure it out. I feel like they were speaking English, but they just got overdubbed. Yeah, yeah. Right. Was th- yeah, like they had bad audio. Yeah, yeah was that yeah, the yeah. same with the duckling, with the torture duckling? Were they I also speaking? I couldn't tell in that sometimes one. sometimes they were, yeah. it looked like they were do- like saying English words like along with this. I just assumed that no one could be understood in either film, so they had to like overdub them. That's pretty common anyway, regardless yeah. of the language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just the stylistically, the way they look, you think that they're, from, you know, it's another country yeah. and it seems so. I would love to hear like just an Italian, whatever first version they had, I think would be very interesting to watch. Yeah, I wish I wish that there was like a new resurgence of these types of films. They would just film them in Italian and let me read some subtitles because I love me some subtitles. But let, let's get into one of the things that Dave brought up as he was setting the movie up, which is The Curse of Macbeth. 
So we know that the entire movie starts because the star that was slated to play Lady Macbeth in the play is hit by a car, thrusting Betty into the spotlight and starting this killer's obsession with with uh, stalking her and making her watch him kill people. The curse of Macbeth or the curse of the Scottish play is a legit thing. And Argento actually felt like he fucked up by having Macbeth be the play in this movie because he feels like it actually befell the making of the movie. So we keep talking about cursed films. There were a number of things that happened with opera, like a one of the minor actors was actually killed on set, was crushed by a car during one of the shooting sequences. Um, actor Ian Charlson, who played Marco, the director of the play, who sort of mirrored Argento, he was a, in the movie, he's a horror director who is now going into theater. Uh, he had a minor accident during the filming of this movie, which caused him to go to the hospital where he was diagnosed with AIDS. And he died two years after this came out. This was his last starring role. So the original curse of the Scottish play, allegedly the folklore that Dave was talking about, comes from the fact that a coven of witches objected to Shakespeare using real incantations in his play. So they put a curse on it. In its first performance in 1606, the actor playing Lady Macbeth died, and Shakespeare himself had to dress like her and play the part. Then there were actual daggers replaced instead of the prop daggers they had that led to the death of the actor playing King Duncan. Later on, in subsequent performances in 1849 in New York, a riot caused by two feuding actors who were playing different productions in different countries actually led to 20 deaths and over 100 injuries. So the curse of Macbeth or the curse of the Scottish play, as it's sometimes referred to, is allegedly a real thing and made its way into the production of opera. Wow, that's amazing. We should act it out on the podcast. We should do it, have an episode that's just us acting out and singing Macbeth. Good idea. Maybe Dario Argento will film it. Bravo! Bravo! 